Please consider the importance of water baptism. It gives us an opportunity to deal with wicked, sinful nature and point to a burial time. That's where I died with Christ. And we can make sure that at the end of the meeting, before we close, we can do another water baptism. The psalm Jonathan started with is very important. As we look back, there's this record of faithfulness as the way in which God deals with us. And we can expect Him to continue to deal with us that way. Never feel abandoned or desperate because He's there with us. He, he wants to get involved. Bring your cares, bring your burdens, bring your issues to Him. He cares, He loves, He identifies, he, He's waiting to kind of get involved with us. I encourage you that way. Please turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 28. Thanks, John and the team. Appreciate it. It's interesting how the Spirit of God leads us, and then at times you kind of think, okay, we're going to get back into the book of Acts, which we will do. Um, but we've got stuck on Jacob, and Jacob is teaching us some very valuable lessons. And this morning, uh, we're going to carry on with looking at the gospel in this passage. We know the Old Testament is a shadow. It's kind of type. It's allegory of what's going to happen later on. And so whatever God said there about wanting to bless the world, the nations of the world, through a kind of nation Israel, is now what God wants to do to the world through us, who have become a people of faith, and are Abraham's sons. So we are not Abraham's sons by ancestry, we are Abraham's sons by faith. And so he acted in faith. Whatever God said to him, whatever God challenged him with, he acted in faith. And we know there were some mistakes along the way. But when we look at Jacob, we kind of see a kind of identity, a, a person that we can identify more with than any one of the others in this line uh, eventually they become a nation. And Jacob is teaching us the absolute importance of the gospel. And so as you read, you know, Jacob leaves Beersheba under instruction of his mother to go. He's running away from his brother. He's stolen that firstborn inheritance, that double portion and the rest of it. And it's here in the state of running away, bad character, uncertainty and desperation and so on that God sovereignly chooses to reveal himself to Jacob. God reveals himself to us while we are still sinners. You find that in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, so, so much of the way in which God revealed himself and interacted with Jacob is the way it's happened for every single one of us. It was in my sin. It wasn't because I attracted God's attention by something great that I was doing or I was going to be a good catch or something like that. It was, I was in this place of desperation. I was in this place of going nowhere and going to accomplish nothing. And that's where God got hold of me. And that's how God got hold of humanity. It's, we, we had rejected him. We had stoned the prophets. We had killed them. Those that had come with a voice to clearly call us back to him, 
We destroyed all of them. And then even the one who was sent to set us free, we killed him as well. But that was the master plan of God. And through his blood, through his blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the justifying work of Christ on the cross has set us free. Nothing. It's interesting, Jacob in verse 18 responds, he took the stone he had put under his head, set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and all that you give me, I'll give you a full tenth to you. Even though God reveals himself to Jacob, he's still dealing. Isn't that interesting that the default kind of way in which we approach God as we deal with him all the time, some kind of like contract. If you do this, I'll do that. And what Christ has come to show us and give us is a covenant, a covenant of love. And we know that even our best intentions, we're going to break those. And once you were saved, were you sin free? Once you decided to serve Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Not many of us, no. Every single one of us, we break our promises, we sin, we kind of seem to carry on in a pattern of rebellion, but we need to continually come back to the one who has given us life. There's no bargaining with God. This is it. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the gospel, that contractual way of thinking is gone, and we step into a new realm of grace. And even though I have sinned, even though I have rebelled, yet when I come back, there is forgiveness, and actually in my weakest moments, he is strong. Paul says, when I'm weak, he is strong. His grace is made perfect in my weakness. God wants me to understand it's not about performance. You see, justification is what God has done. So we've talked about those three tenses of salvation. You know, it's justification, sanctification, glorification. Why are we going over these again? It's so that we as a people can prepare ourselves to share this good news with those around us. Be able to give a, an answer for the hope within so that when somebody connects with us, we can tell them about the gospel. So what God has done is justification. It's done. It's a finished work. Christ has died on the cross. We have forgiven our sin. And our response is to put our faith in that. And then even when we wander thereafter, we go back and we continue to put our faith in the cross. And we never stop putting our faith in what Christ has done and the blood in which it has set us free. We continue to go back. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all all of that. And then when I do it again, the same day, the 20th time, I go back to the cross and I apply what Christ has done. And then, of course, I endeavor, the second part of salvation is to get involved with what God is doing. Is What is he doing? He's making me into the likeness and image of Jesus. And you know, there's some pretty strong scriptures. Be holy because I'm holy. Um, kind of be mature because I'm mature. So there is a working with God to work out my salvation. 
so that I can become something of a testimony and I can be a display to the world of the grace of God. But again, it's not performance because I rest on what he's done to become what he wants me to be. And then that most amazing third part of salvation is what God will do. And he's busy with that right now, preparing a room for me in his house, a room for you in his house. Isn't that awesome? He said, I will come back. He will come back. So what will God do is he is going to just end the age, caught between these two things, delaying the second coming of Christ for people to be saved and wanting to speed it up so that we don't have to suffer. 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 <laughs> suffer. The world's going like that. And God has got these two things in balance. But there's going to be a day when we are glorified. Awesome. No more pain, no more suffering, none of that. So let's try and understand justification. It's important that we kind of get it into our hearts. We look at this illustration uh, of the ladder of Jacob. You know, it's uh, a lot of Christianity is like trying to go up a down escalator. That's hard work. Doesn't it seem like that? You take kind of one step forward and you trip, and then when you wake up, you're 10 steps down. And, and, and it does seem like that. And a lot of Christianity kind of that arose out of this teaching, this Jacob's Ladder teaching, erroneously, is it's about human effort. And so because of that, we had a whole monastic movement develop, where the way you ascend to heaven is you, it's through doing exactly what Jacob did. You go and make a plea of poverty and you go and sleep on the floor using a rock as a pillow and you kind of you know, abase yourself and you do things to yourself so that you can climb this, this ladder. It's got nothing to do with that. Justification means through Christ I have access to God. That ladder of who Christ is, he is the salvation of this world and through faith in Christ. This is justification. I am justified. As I stand in the court, the highest court of the universe, God declares me not guilty. Not because I've tried with effort to get up this ladder, but because the blood of Christ has set me free. Now, if you don't get excited with that, man, I tell you, somehow your heart needs to just get a, a, a check in it, a, 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 a just a little reboot. Maybe push control, alt, delete. And it never happens with an Apple computer anyway. But, but just do that. <clears throat> because we need to understand. And the control, alt, delete for me, it's the word of God. The word of God tells me this. So it's not about my own effort. That's what justification teaches. John 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory glory as the only son from the father full of grace and full of truth and so there's the ladder Jesus Christ himself we saw it in that John chapter 1 and verse 41 Jesus Christ is the ladder he is the one that has given us this incredible privilege of having a relationship with God and so it's our trust in him it's working with him and it's only possible through him Jesus says uh, in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father th except through me. So as we've received him, 
we continue to live our lives that way, living out all of the freedom that is mine. And so it's not about, you know, getting saved through Christ and now trying to find a way to kind of climb this ladder. He is the ladder. Through him we have access. He is the door into heaven. He is the one giving us access to the relationship that we have with the Father. That is just too awesome. Through Jesus, the temple curtain was torn. And they say that that curtain was as thick as a hand. And it was torn. God tore this curtain to indicate there's no longer a barrier between him and us. Through Christ, we have access right into his presence, justified. You see, because sin in the Old Testament picture of the Ark of the Covenant, you couldn't go into the inner part where the the Ark was. If you had sin, the priest would die. He had a rope tied to his foot. And so if he'd never atoned for his sin the right way, they'd pull him out dead. He had little bells on his robe so that when they stopped ringing, was he just pausing because he's tired or did he drop down dead? And they'd pull him out if necessary. The curtain's torn. Through Christ, we are able to come right into that place of, of fellowship with God. Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Justified. No longer just to be those who perhaps think of themselves in any lesser way, but sons and daughters of God. That's what justification is. And you know, the prodigal said, I'd I'd gladly be a servant in my father's house because of the benefits that I can see. But God says, no, that's not good enough. Through the blood of Christ, we've become sons and daughters. And we can cry out, Abba, Father. That's just the most intimate statement that any of us can make. It's amazing how God designed that statement to be made in homes. And so many homes are without that. But in Christ we have that. Abba, Father. You're never alone. Justified. Can be in his presence. Sinners like us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 3 it says in verse 13, Christ, um, we've read that In Titus chapter 3 verse 5, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. New birth and new life. While we were yet sinners, while you and I were in our rebellion, he did this for us. And you know, the Bible says clearly that every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us is a sinner doesn't matter how good you were before you were a believer or not. The fact is, without God, we're sinners. We all are, in some way, are rebellion. In some way, we are turning our backs on Him. In some way, we're trying to do it in our own strength. Our fallen, sinful human nature is there. Some of us suppress it well, and we are very well behaved, and others of us have expressed it badly. But we all, every single one of us, have received this mercy. That's justification. Washed away our sins. 
justification, giving us new birth, justification through life in this Holy Spirit. And yet we have this relationship made possible through Jesus, His blood, through the power of the Holy Spirit regenerating us so that we can stand in the presence of the Father. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that the good news that we should be sharing with this world? Because there's this hope of a future that we can give to those who are around us. We know that we have fallen short. We know that we are sinners. And here's the way that we can get it together again. Romans chapter 5. We've read the first part, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath. That's the condemnation of God in the law. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation is the key word in all of this. So reconciliation is a relational word. So we're not justified to become adherents of a faith or members of a club. We have been reconciled to become sons and daughters. I find that so awesome. And so this relationship's made possible, justified. I can have that relationship with God. And then when we go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. It's interesting when God speaks to Jacob, he, 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 that's his kind of moment of being born again. And he says, I'm going to cause you to be an influence in the world. I'm going to cause you to spread out. I'm going to cause you to impact. And through you, I'm going to bless the nations of the world. This is the gospel. The gospel is like, when you look at an acorn, can you see an oak tree? Not at all. When you look at any seed, you can't see what it's going to accomplish. And the thing with the gospel, too often we only see it as a means to tick off afterlife insurance, and we're happy with justification, but in it, as we receive it, is something that wants to bloom and grow and spread. And in it is an anointing and an energy that God wants to put in our lives so that we can impact others. You see, I think we've fallen short when we just eat the acorn. No, let it grow. Let it germinate and grow. Let it start to flourish and begin to see the way in which those branches are going to reach out and how God is going to take normal, ordinary people like Jacob and cause them to be an impact. Yes, along the way, there's going to be dealings as God deals with our sinful human nature. Welcome it. Deal with it that way. But we go back to the fact that we have been justified by the blood of Christ. There's no other means to deal with sin except through the blood of Jesus. And as he shows us our failings, and as we come to terms with the sin, we go back to him and forgive us. Remember the Galatians? How did they deal with things? Started in faith, and they ended up in works. And they get rebuked for it. How can you start with being saved by faith, and now you're relying on your own strength? And so we allow God to do that. And we can see in Jacob's life, dealing, 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 dealing. Somebody said, and I think I've said this to you, he would be a card 
car dealer, second-hand car dealer if he was around today. And then Conrad corrected me and he said he'd be a lawyer. <laughs> but be that as it may, that is us dealing with God, isn't it? Until that one time where God gets hold of him and they wrestle. We're going to get to that eventually and just have a look at that. And we see a total changed man at that point. I, I want you to get hold of me that way, Father. I want to come out a changed person. I want to be the person that you can build with. And, and so don't just eat the acorn of salvation. Realize that it's going to grow and it's going to flourish. And, and you know that salvation is going to work itself into your marriage and into your relationships. And that justified is going to give us the ability to be able to love where we've never loved before. And to be able to see the world the way God sees it. For God so loves the world. We'll be able to reach out in the same way. That's why right up front God tells Jacob, you know what you're receiving now? It's about impacting the nations. It's interesting how we add church planting, discipling the nations. We add all of these things of us reaching out. We add it onto Christianity as projects. It's the very heart of the gospel. As, as he planted that seed in Barry, he's going to use Barry to influence. And Barry, when he got saved, there was no way he was thinking he'd be influencing Christians and people and churches in Lesotho. And that's what it is. And there's no ways some of us thought we'd ever impact people around us, but that's his will. His will is to do that. Let this acorn germinate and grow. There's a, an incredibly powerful scripture in this regard. Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For your God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See it? So not saved by works. In other words, me preaching the gospel and me reaching out and sacrificing my life for the sake of others, not getting me saved. I get saved by nothing I did myself. It's all by what Christ has done, justification. But now that I'm saved, let the acorn grow. Because now... He has prepared some amazing adventures for us and works. We can't sit there on our gifts and we can't sit there on the potential for the kingdom. We've got to let this seed free so that we can accomplish everything that God has called us to do. And so from this, the notes will be available online. What I want to suggest is you take these scriptures, the justification ones, and mark them in your Bible. And the sanctification ones, when they get preached next. And then the glorification ones. So that when folk talk to you, you can show them the gospel. You can lead them to a relationship with Jesus. You can show them the grace you have received. And they can receive the same. So that each of us is prepared. And we're not stifling the seed that has been sown in our lives. You know, we're in the season of Love Joburg and Made to Fish Commission to Go. Those are not projects. Those are hearts that God is restoring to us. And so each of us needs to be prepared to give an answer for the hope within. Each of us needs to have these in our Bible. We need to even memorize some of these scriptures because it's like living water to those who are living on polluted water at the moment. 
And we're able to speak into those situations with confidence. And so I would like you to do that, all of us. I think we need to be prepared for what God has given us. Justification, what God has done. Never stop thanking God for that. Sanctification, what God is doing. And then glorification, what's to come. Let's pray together. This is what Christ planted in the heart of the disciples. And you couldn't keep them quiet even if you killed them. Because that just kept on spreading. And so Father we pray now in the name of Jesus that we move from being end users to those who are mobilized. That we wouldn't eat the acorn. We'd allow it to germinate and to produce in our lives those works of righteousness that you've called us to that we would be available and willing on all occasions to share the hope with them. And the grace we've received, we want to tell others about. The healing we've received, we want to pray for others. It's not in the receiving, it's in the giving, where there is way more joy. So I pray for us, Father, that we would become students of this gospel. We would study it, we'd know it, we'd savor it, we'd celebrate it. And then we'd look for opportunities as we are made to fish and commissioned to go. Thank you for your great grace, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Glenn is going to give the announcements. <laughs> so, yes, the, the deal, not... Come and stand next to me. <laughs> Not this coming week, but the week after that, we are hosting, as Cornerstone does, I'm stealing your thunder here, uh, church planters training. So folk from around the country are coming. We're recording it. We're going to do it here. So we've got some material to put online for others who are wanting to plant churches. And they're going to be lectured and uh, ministered to in the daytime. And then every evening of not this week coming, but the week after that, Thursday, Monday through to Thursday night. We're going to have different guys who've come up um, from around South Africa. One of them's from overseas. And we're going to celebrate this whole answering the call to go. We're going to celebrate our church planting culture. So I want to encourage you to come to that. All prayer, life groups, everything across all our sites have closed down and we focus in on that moment. Uh, to celebrate the culture, to learn ourselves. Those evenings, we trust in God that we'll be ministered to as well. Uh, we're going to open our hearts to what God is saying. It's in times like that, and we see it in the life of the Antioch church, where God says, separate for me, Glenn and Marcus, and send them to the Bahamas to go and preach the gospel. <laughs> Just hang on a moment. Yes, Lord. <laughs> so uh, I want to encourage you with that. Pray for that time. There are about 40 church planters that are going to be with us. Pray for them. They already know they're called, but pray for them that uh, they'd be equipped better and hear something of God's plan you know, for the future as well. So that's what's happening next Sunday. Thanks, Glenn.